Welcome to a parish podcast. This is the third week in our Advent series, and we are moving closer towards Christmas each week, finding ourselves again in this great story. But not everybody believes it's a great story, at least not at first. Some people who hear it need to be convinced, and some people in the story need it the same. So whether you need convincing or not, welcome to the journey. Over 15 years ago, I received a phone call from a young theater student in Hamilton. They were doing research on a play that they were in. The phone call was a bit weird and awkward, but not because I didn't know them, because I didn't, but because the character they were researching was me. They were playing me in a play. Now, to be clear, the play wasn't about me. The play was the story of a friend of mine who moved to Hamilton 30 years ago as a bicycle courier and founded one of the longest-running and most successful inner-city charities in Hamilton. The impact my friend has had on the children and youth of Steeltown, especially the Barton Street district, is well-known and documented. So a play to honor his sacrifice, his passion, it was well-deserved. But how did I make it on stage, I asked. Well, you moved him here, the voice said on the other line. That's how it all started. You know, I remember it well. We were best friends. I remember moving him into his grungy little apartment across the road from Gage Park. He was a Bible college dropout with a passion to make a difference and to deliver packages on a bicycle. And not once was I thinking that one day this guy would have the key to the city. That one day he'd be picking up Colin Powell at the airport to speak at his fundraising dinner. It's a good story. But 35 years ago, I didn't think so. Moving the boxes into his apartment, I remember thinking, this is a bad story. And truthfully, there's been lots of tragedy and pain in the past three and a half decades for him and his family. Success hasn't come easy. Now, I don't know what he was thinking, only what he was doing. I don't know how he explained to his parents that he was quitting school and moving to Hamilton to make deliveries on a bike. Now, a couple of years ago, we sat in my backyard and we reminisced about it all. And I realized that he's just as surprised. And I guess that's what I love about my friend Todd. I love a good surprise in any story, especially when you find it in your own. Now, during Advent, we are celebrating a story filled with surprise. I think that's what I love so much about the people that we meet in Luke and Matthew's birth stories of Jesus. They're just like you and me. So ordinary that even they would be surprised at how their lives would unfold. And that all these years later, we would be still talking about them and the role that they played. I think every character we're introduced to has an element of surprise. Mary. Joseph, the shepherds, the magi, even King Herod is surprised. The innkeeper, he can't believe that his inn is sold out on a Thursday night. They're all surprised. And for good reason. Because most of the circumstances that become the vehicle for this story, the mechanism for its development and its delivery are wrapped up in, well, swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And like the main characters in this story, I need to be constantly reminded that this is good. Because something, sometimes our thinking leads us to believe that it's anything but positive, that it's anything but good. I want us to consider Joseph this morning. He's the one on the left in your nativity scene in the window, standing with his hand on Mary's back. Now, we don't have a single recorded word from his mouth in Matthew or Luke. 
We sing no carols about Joseph or his role in the story. Yet I think his dilemma, not only just believable, but I think it's relatable. In a story that so often isn't so. For him, the story he is living seems to get interrupted by the hypothetical question, do you trust me? Now, those are difficult words to hear, especially if they're coming from the person piloting your plane, or maybe the chef in a restaurant, or perhaps the orthodontist before taking out your wisdom teeth, or by your doctor ordering those extra tests. When someone asks if you trust them, it assumes there might be a reason for you not to. Otherwise, why ask? Trust implies one person might know more about something than the other. And either is unable to explain it, or perhaps it's just incomprehensible. And trusting them relies on their experience, not yours. And in this Christmas story, we read of many moments of trust related to God. Let's call that vertical trust. We think of Mary trusting the angelic visitor and believing that what has been told her will come to pass. The Magi will trust the celestial light to guide them. The shepherds, they'll trust their encounter and they'll act on it. But the story has lots of moments of horizontal trust as well. Trust between each other, the humans. Last week, Jan talked about Mary after receiving the news that she will bear a child. She trusts her news with her cousin Elizabeth and runs to the hill country and stays with her for months. Evidence seems to support that Elizabeth is the first person to find out about Mary's pregnancy. This is a very trusting, horizontal relationship. And Joseph, who we get very little information about, will eventually trust the story that Mary will tell him upon her return. Eventually. But first, he will lose some sleep over it. And in what little sleep he will get, it will be interrupted by a dream that will influence what he does when he's awake. This is how Matthew begins his telling of the story in chapter 1, verse 18. He writes, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Now Matthew does in one verse here what Luke takes 30 verses to accomplish. Of course, they both focus on different aspects of the story. Matthew's account begins months after Luke's begins, and Matthew's telling seems to focus more on Joseph. Even the genealogy he begins with is Joseph's family line. There's no mention of Mary's angelic visit, only that her pregnancy is special, divinely special. It's Luke that will tell us that Mary will go see her cousin Elizabeth and stay with her for months. Luke is all about us understanding Mary's dilemma, her choosing to travel to be with someone she trusted. Because I'm sure she didn't even trust her own thoughts at this point. And after months of that soul-enriching time with Elizabeth, she bravely returns to Nazareth to face the music. And this is where Matthews begins his account. And when she returns, she is four months pregnant and showing. And it's safe to assume that nobody knew except for Elizabeth. Even Joseph seems to not know. Matthew's account has no mention of Mary telling Joseph, and his wording implies surprise. Listen to how Matthew describes it. Once again, he writes, This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. Mary was pledged to be married, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant. 
That word found is interesting. It can also be interpreted as discovered, recognized, or detected. Some scholars believe that Joseph most likely found out through the community or close family as Mary returned from the hill country in her first trimester. And upon her return, it is discovered that she's pregnant. She's showing. She hasn't had a chance to tell anybody yet. Now here, there's a tension in the story. We know that Mary has done nothing wrong, but we feel the pain of her being misunderstood, of her trying to convince the people she trusts and loves with an unbelievable story. It doesn't say that she goes around telling people, you know, hey, look at me. I got a story to tell you. No, this isn't the girl Mary is. But how would she tell people what she's experienced? Hey, Joseph, um, I can explain this. <laughs> I'm just trying to imagine this moment. Regardless of how she planned to tell him, somehow the devastating news seems to get back to Joseph, perhaps before Mary does. The news is discovered. Maybe someone comes running to Joseph and says, Hey, Mary just came to town and um, she looks different. We don't know. But this actually sheds light on the rest of Matthew's biography, at least his telling of this birth story. It helps us make sense of what happens next. You see, in Matthew's version, he continues to write that because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose Mary to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appears to him in a dream and tells him that he doesn't have to fear that Mary's story is true. So for a guy who probably isn't sleeping well since Mary's return, would a dream be enough for you? Would it be enough to convince you to change your mind? I think you'd be surprised. Dreams are an important part of Jewish culture. In fact, Joseph's going to have four before he exits the stage in this story Matthew is writing. It seems to me that a person who listens to a dream is a person who has an incredible sensitivity And I think Matthew feeds that notion for us. He writes that Joseph had in mind to divorce Mary quietly because he was a righteous man. And I know this sounds like the opposite, but his intentions are to have her avoid public disgrace. Joseph culturally had a couple of options. One, he could publicly shame Mary for being unfaithful and save his own reputation. Or two, a private divorce that could possibly ruin his his reputation anyways, but would spare Mary the consequences of being judged as unfaithful which most likely would have been more about stigma than anything. So Joseph, being a righteous man, chose the latter. He would end the betrothal, and he would divorce her quietly. But these are Matthew's words. As Joseph considered this. Now that sentence is an interesting translation. I read a book by Kenneth Bailey. Um, called Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes. And he says that the common English translation of as he considered this is legitimate, but is kind of misleading. The word in the Greek actually has two meanings. One, that he considered, pondered, deliberated. But the second meaning is that he, he became angry. Now, how would you feel discovering from somebody else that your fiance, who's been away for three months, returns pregnant? Forget who you heard it from. It doesn't matter. This is hard news to swallow. You see, centuries of venerating both Joseph and Mary have sanitized them to the point of being unrelatable as humans. 
Mary with her immaculate conception, Joseph who doesn't even get upset when his fiancée shows up with an absurd story, three months pregnant. Now these stories are as much about humanity as they are about divinity. So let me read that passage again with an equally accurate, but possibly more relatable translation. Because Joseph, her husband, was good and upright man, he did not want to expose Mary to public disgrace, so he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after fuming over this news, an angel of the Lord appears to him in a dream and says, Joseph, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived of her is of God. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, that a young woman will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. So perhaps Matthew is letting us in on the humanity of Joseph here. And in doing so, we see a relatable person. We see a moment that we understand. One who was upset and most likely a bit angry because everything had changed and without his knowing or even his input. And so he ruminated, he deliberated, he fumed over this. One thing for sure, he struggled with it. He decided to make a difficult decision and end their betrothal quietly. But he has this dream, and basically he's instructed to trust Mary. Whether or not he believes her, he needs to trust her. In another book uh, called Shivering Babe, Glorious Lord, written by Douglas Worth, he writes that Joseph's struggle is first to deal with his shock and disappointment at the unexpected turn of events, and then to devise a plan to break off the engagement and put Mary out of reach of ridicule. The angel's task is to reassure Joseph that Mary's done nothing wrong. The angel is to explain the special nature of her conception and to convince Joseph to take Mary as his wife. Now here's the question that comes to me. It seems plausible that Joseph was angry. Joseph possibly fumed, but who is he angry at? Mary? This girl he loves and trusted with everything? Her story is ridiculous, but even more unexpected than the news is this kind of story coming from her. Maybe it would have been less disruptive if she told him three months earlier, but then again, maybe not. How do you swallow a story this big? But maybe it isn't Mary he's angry at. Was he mad at God? This is a disruption of plans and promises of present and future. Maybe he could be mad at both, mad at God for interrupting life and mad at Mary for saying, may it be as you say. Or maybe he's mad at himself. Did he do something wrong? I'm sure he's judging himself. I would. I have. I do. When life turns south, the first thing I think is, am I being punished for something? And I know I'm not the only one. But this story reminds us that the interruptions and their consequences, including being misunderstood, aren't necessarily the result of being wrong or bad. This story is inviting us into broken dreams and heartbreak. The story is showing us that something beautiful can come from the unexpected, even the misunderstood. 
It's a story about broken hearts and fear conquered by hope and promise. Joseph is afraid to take Mary home as his wife, most likely because he has trouble believing the whole thing. He must have trust issues. Sometimes you can't tell the difference between fear and courage until you reach the other side. Joseph wakes up and does the courageous thing, not the easy thing. His dream really offers him a revelation, a completely new perspective on a situation. I can guarantee you, he never would have guessed Mary's explanation for her pregnancy. It's completely unexpected. It's unbelievable. Matthew may quote Isaiah as a prophecy, but I'm telling you, we would be wrong to believe that Joseph had made that connection. That wouldn't come for decades. This is unexpected. This is unprecedented. Joseph doesn't need a Bible verse to believe this story. He needs a dream. He needs to sleep on it. He needs to wake up with a new perspective on yesterday's problem. This is a story we can relate to. Falling asleep with unanswered questions on your mind, yet so much can happen when our eyes are shut. And maybe that's the secret. Maybe when we are awake, we are too busy trying to fix the out-of-control situations in our lives. But maybe Joseph just needed to stop, to rest, to sleep, even in order to hear what God was saying. I get that. Our waking hours are spent Googling, researching, trying to fix and patch. Maybe it requires us sometimes to stop looking at the things out of control, out of our control. Maybe the very act of sleep is to trust the one who never sleeps. Joseph is reassured, not of how it's all going to work out. Instead, he's just told not to be afraid. And when you hear that, it's because there's something that normally would scare you. And he's being told, don't let it. Trust. Have faith. Have faith in Mary's trust. Wow. That's a complicated sentence. Truthfully, these accounts were not written down for us to find a lesson in. I won't waste your time trying to tease out of these vignettes a truth to take home because I think the truth is, they are home. We live in stories like this. Instead, we tell it right, we read it proper, and we discover that we get sucked into these stories because they're about us. They're not inaccessible, instead they're the opposite. They're all the ways God shows up and does what only God can do change a heart, offer us an alternative way to understand our situation, foster a boldness to act on a conviction, remind us to not be afraid of the unknown without any explanation, just trust. And when we're not ready for what this story holds for us, the story's ready for us. Because this is about the unexpected moments, the phone calls, the biopsies, the things that seem terrible, if not unbelievable, and they seem to stop us. But the divine presence comes to us, sometimes when we're awake, reminding us not to be afraid. Sometimes it feels like the tight squeeze of a nurse's hand or the gentle way the snow falls and lands, or a text from a friend or the smile from a stranger. Sometimes it just comes when our eyes are shut, shut tight in hopeful prayer, or shut tight in the hopes of sleep, rest, Sabbath, surrendering our efforts. We've all been Joseph, restless with worries on our mind. We've struggled to sleep and close our eyes. But let's not forget to be Joseph when he wakes, choosing to not be afraid, to do the right thing, not the easy thing. 
to take the next step. Take Mary as his wife. To not worry about the second trimester, third trimester. Don't worry about the rumors. Just do the next thing. Mary will teach this righteous man how to trust God. Wow, that'll preach. Life is busy. And sometimes it gets interrupted. And not necessarily because we're bad. The story reminds us that sometimes it's because we're good, great, even favored. Both Mary and Joseph were good people. This wasn't punishment. And even though they weren't ready, even though we're not ready, even though we're rarely prepared, when God shows up in all the ways he does, in our lives, in our stories, it's not because we've invited him. It's because he's invited us, invited to trust. Circumstances that seem definitive, but only from our perspective. We're invited to trust God in each and in each other. And sometimes we discover we'll do the same thing. May this story be true for you this week in all the ways you need it. 